Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Chris Clark, who's the Chief Executive of Delta Drone International. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Well, drones uh, is a fascinating area. Um, It's a new space that uh, many people, I guess, see in their um, walks to the beach with people running their drones around the beach and over hills and other sorts of monuments these days. What got you involved in drones or interested in drones? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, yeah, it's so it's so fascinating, and you're right. A lot of the context of what we see today is is really these kind kind of consumer grade drones. These little drones that you know, I mean, people are worried, or they see in movies and flying over your your house, uh, like I said, all over you on the beach, on the in the in the woods. And uh, you know, really, as as Delta Drone International, we're really more focused on the um, you know those enterprise. Uh, applications of drones. So things, the drones are a lot bigger, not necessarily the size of these big military style drones that, that shoot rockets out of the side, but, uh, you know, ones that already are, are here for purposes to to assist in the mining and agricultural and, and let's say like uh, engineering and oil and gas industries. What specifically got you involved in drones? Like what what actually was the the trigger for you to say, I'm going to now go and be a CEO of a, of a drone company? Yeah, I, I guess no one ever pictures himself to be a CEO, but uh, but merely sort of an entrepreneur at start. And uh, and about I guess it really kind of began about ten years ago. Um, I've always been sort of involved in the mining industry, um, and I remember walking onto a mine site. It was a, a BHP mine at the time, and uh, was selling another technology product. And uh, I walk, was walked into the survey office, and I saw this drone, and it was in like ten thousand pieces, it was like all over the floor. And I and I said to the the chief surveyor at the time, I said, Jacques, you know, what what happened here? And he said, he said, no man. He said these Canadian guys came, the slickest salesman you've ever met in your life. They sold us this drone for for fifty thousand US, and they said it's the easiest drone in the world to fly. So I said, Jacques, but you mean why is the chair broken broken on the floor? And he said, he said, listen, he said it was easy to fly, just not so easy to land. And, uh, and and I think that that just became the part of what the start of today is uh, is now um, Rocket Mine and Vinci came into to Delta Drone. So uh, yeah, that's where we started. So most people know about the consumer style drones that I mentioned at the start, sort of DJI is the very very common brand. But what's the history of drone technology to get up to this level? Obviously, we've miniaturized some some technology that's been around. Uh, where, what's that transition been? You're right. I guess, uh, and what's always fascinating um, is is that technology always, I guess, always starts in wartime, right? Because that's where the money and the funding goes. And drone technology and, and automation in general um, really goes back as far as the 1850s, where uh, you know where where sort of TNT and grenades were sort of placed in balloons to float to to sort of attack the enemy. Um, and we even see, you know, the the Nazis in World War II were automating some of their rockets, which are going to, you know, I mean, fire across the channel, um, you know, at the Allied forces at the time. So it already kind of began in the military style, really way back when, you know, over 100 years ago. Um, and now it's sort of come to the part where it's it's really accessible and available to to anyone to use, um, and combined with uh, other applications. Now, obviously, with with your company, you're looking at professional use cases. 
Um, can you give us a bit of context about what specifically you're looking to do with with drones? Yeah, so we, again, it's also about, you know, well, you can go to the shops and and, and, and get a drone off the off the shelf at about a thousand, a thousand sort of dollars, right? We're looking at taking drones, which which sometimes weigh less than a kilogram, but cost over $20,000. And people, you know, it, it's a crazy sum of money to think about this sort of this lightweight of the drone. But at the end of the day, what we actually have found is that customers don't actually really want to own and operate drones. It's really about the, the sensor that's attached inside the drone that gives them the, the picture and the details that they need. And depending on what sensor or camera that you put inside these professional drones is what then aligns with that particular application. So we would use, a, let's say, for example, a, a really high resolution RGB or full color sort of camera to in, in a mining application to, to do volumetrics, to build orthomosaic uh, maps, um, really to, to help mines get, get centimeter level of detail much more than they could in an in a aircraft or a, or a satellite photo. And again, if you take those same drones and you attach a multi-spectral or hyperspectral kind of sensors to a drone, all of a sudden for, for farmers, you not only can you can you do precision agriculture. So in other words, right now farmers, for example, are, are when, when they kind of spray crops, they just sort of spray crops uniformly right across. But using a drone, you can actually pick up certain spots where some parts of the, the field may be healthier than others. And then using the GPS technology or the GPS uh, georeference data from a drone, plugging into your into your precision crop sprayer, you can then do adaptive spraying across the field. So really saving farmers money. And that all just begins with a with a drone and the photo and, and the picture and and, uh, and and giving sort of the let's say this high resolution um, data pack. So is the money that you're spending for these drones, you mentioned that it can be up to twenty thousand dollars for for a drone, you know, is that cost in, in association with the ability of it to, to fly a long distance? Is it other sorts of sensors like a gas sensor, you know, temperature sensors, humidity sensors? Uh, what, what's the cost that people are paying for? So really to to have a sort of a professional drone um, and a drone professional, let's say drone service as well, it's, again, because you, you, you've got to guarantee the reliability of that data. You know, again, you can go out and anyone can fly a drone and can take photos or can take a video. Um, and the nice thing is generally photos don't lie, but it's the sensors that, uh, that see beyond just a color photo. How do you take that photo and turn it into quantifiable data? Um, and I think that's the, the tricky part or, or where people maybe don't see the correlation. You know what I mean? A lot of guys, and we've even seen it on mining sites where they'll go out and they'll buy a Phantom 4 saying, well, this ticks all the boxes uh, in terms of what I, what I need and, uh, and it should do the job. But then we, we find a lot of customers, like they get frustrated because it's just not reliable. It fails. It falls out of the sky. It, uh, there's, there's just no maintenance plan or, you know what I mean? So, so customers really, they just want something reliable. So from our, from our kind of point of view, we, we prefer to use a lot more professional grade or survey grade kind of equipment because A, you know what I mean? Our, our, what we sell is data. You know what I mean? The customer, again, they don't really care about the drone. They just say, give me accurate data set as quickly and as, and as cost effectively as possible. And we need to be able to reliably do that. And a lot of the drones which we use uh, start bringing in the sort of semi-autonomous um, um, abilities and operations into uh, the equipment itself. So which allows us to sort of preset the drone up, you know, 
pre-configure these flight plans, these waypoints. So literally the pilot, all they have to do is press a button and the drone and the drone um, does the rest. So there's really two parts to the drone. There's the hardware, the actual physical uh, drone and its flying apparatus. And then you've also got the whole software package that comes alongside it for it to control and then take data, process data, and then feed back to the actual drone itself. That's right. So you, you, you'll have the physical hardware a drone, um, I guess is what everyone sees, but you're right in the background, we've got this, uh, what they call the ground control station or the, the GCS, which is where all the flight programming gets done. And I guess even beyond that, um, in, a, in a professional setting, you've, you've got all these regulations with CASA. So it's filing flight plans, you know, reserving airspace, especially if you in your controlled airspace. So actually flying a drone is really only 10% of the actual operation itself. The rest of it is taking the imagery, you're right, processing it, building those models, giving the customer what they need so that they can do their job and move on. And then the rest is completing the paperwork, repairing, maintaining the drone. It's crazy. It's uh, it's it's definitely, I think movies have made it out to be a lot more sexy than <laughs> I guess what it really is on the ground. You mentioned that you know the, the applications to mining and to agriculture. Are there other sort of real-world problems that you're seeing drones being used? I know Amazon talked about for quite a while using drones to deliver some items and so forth. Is that actually feasible? It, and it's come so quickly. You're right, Alex. The, the real-world problems and, and what we're seeing the biggest growth in today is, is around drone deliveries and also the sort of urban urban expansion of, of drones. So so right now, drones are, are very, very big and, and regulators and, and I guess people in general are a lot more accepting of drones, you know, when we're flying in very safe or, or non-complex um, areas and um, such as mining and, and agricultural sites. But we are seeing drones now pushing the boundaries of of the urban the urban regions, right? Because that's where everybody is, right? We we want to deliver products and solve problems in, in the cities as well. And right now that can only be done by manned aircraft. So there's a lot of push in, in from a regulatory sense to to enable these flights over people, but also figuring out a way in which we can mitigate, you know, drones falling out of the, the sky. So so some of these big things of solving real world problems that that also what makes sense to you and me is, you know, we're looking at the advent in, in Africa of delivering of, of COVID vaccines because just there's not enough um, fridges. You know, you'll see like the Medina and, and some of these Pfizer vaccines that have got to be stored at negative 20 to negative 70 degrees Celsius. So there's this really logistical uh, complexity and uh, that, for example, exists in, in places like Africa. Uh, and using drones to do these, these deliveries uh, makes sense and, and solves these real world problems. You know, blood deliveries have been, been been going on for for at least about four or five years, and now all that experience and technology that's been developed in in safe, let's say, safer countries or, or low risk populated areas like Africa, that is now being brought over to to Australia, um, to to really start testing and pushing the boundaries where you know I mean where we're delivering uh, blood to to mines on emergency purposes, in addition to let's say helping mines as well. Um, you know, I mean, with, uh, with doing mining volumes um, and, and calculating what uh, they're digging out of the ground. How much do, do regulations play a role in the development of drone technology? You know, one of the things in Australia is that there's limitations around how far you can, you can fly a drone. You, you can't fly them out of your line of sight, for example. How much is that potentially being a limiting factor to the applications? CASA has been a really amazing, and I think Australia has been an incredible 
uh, initial test bed for, for drone applications. You know, they're one of the first countries in the world to come out with drone regulations to give people uh, the ability to, to, to not only operate safely in their private capacity, but to even give a, a commercial um, operational procedure um, and what they call sort of an opera, a ROM, an operational manual, um, which they put out there. So really the, the first couple of years um, were really, really great, you know, in sort of the early 2010s. And uh, but what we've seen since then is that the world has got this demand to to push those boundaries, um, you know, beyond the, the the sort of the perceived safe risk of, of one of one kilometer, um, and we we call those sort of operations beyond visual line of sight um, or BV loss, and that is the new way which drone and drone technologies and, and the regulatory re regulations are going. They're still quite um, uh, restrictive at the moment, and this is something. And I guess it's always going to be that relationship between the commercial and what people and the technological process and regulators whose job is to to act in the best interest of of safety, and uh, and it's always I guess about finding that uh, that balance between the the pushing forces from both sides. Is, is it a case that the regulators are looking for you know one pilot to to one drone so that there's you know direct. Uh, interaction with the drone rather than sort of this autonomous style of drones that are going out and it doesn't seem to be someone directly controlling them? Is, is that part of the reason? You're right. I, uh, I can't speak, I guess, on behalf of, of, of regulators, but generally, you know, with us, we've, we've got operations all around the world. Um, and my experience has been that when meeting a lot of regulators, that uh, a lot of the inspectors and people who are developing um, these laws are manned aircraft um, pilots themselves, right? And generally when you're in manned airspace, you've got something what they call shared fate with an aircraft. So what happens is that you know when you're inside this aircraft, if you do something wrong, this aircraft goes down, you're going down with it. So it's this it's this maybe unspoken link between man and machine uh, when you're operating the manned aircraft space. Now, when you're getting into the, the drone space, you're right. Right now, we've, we've got this sort of legislated uh, operational procedure where it's one man, one, one drone, one, or one pilot, one drone, right, um, in terms of operations. But we're seeing, and, it's, and even Australia's had uh, pushed this through as well, enabling uh, autonomous operations is the next phase of drone development. You know, this sort of drone in a box technology uh, where other things are triggered, drones come out automatically, and you, you have a scenario where you can have 20 to 50 of these controlled by one pilot who's sitting in a remote operating center, you mean very, very far away. You've raised an, an issue there that, that comes, I think, to, to most people's mind. It's around the safety of, of these drones because if people are controlling 40 drones, for example, how do you make sure that safety is is protected? Uh, and also, there's now another issue around privacy. You know, 40 drones potentially following a car down a road. You know, there's some questions about privacy there. How, how do you then think about those two issues? I, I think the so to tackle the first question in terms of operating multiple drones, we've already seen it's done. You know, um, we've had you know these these great cool new concepts of drone fireworks. I think you might have seen some of them, um, especially in like sort of China, where you have a lot of drones where they're kind of uh, sort of sensing each other. They know where they are in relation to each other, and they can draw pictures in the night sky. So we've um, we, we've kind of been exposed that, and there you, there you've got a scenario of over 200 drones which are. Uh, op operating, um, you know, in unison, and they're fully automated. There's no, there's not 200 pilots on the ground uh, flying those fireworks, right? And so we know it can te technically it, it can be done. But you're right. It's about how do we get the social acceptance 
um, of autonomous drones flying above our heads because I think whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. The, we, we can't stop the, the progress of technology. We're going to be starting to have drones over our heads. But number one, it's you're right. It's about how do we um, how do we do this safely? So it's 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 around testing. Uh, redundancies, you know, generally you see these like the Google Wing uh, and the Amazon ones, they've got multiple uh, motors. So if one fails, you know, you're not going to have drones falling out the sky. It's it's about having parachute systems, the fleet management. It's You're building this massive big logistical um, machinery right behind this, you know, the, all this hardware flying, flying above you. Um, and then again, it's about um, um, also allowing for... Um, for the privacy issues, it's it's sort of educating the um, the, the public um, slowly over time to say, look, you know I mean we don't have cameras that, for example, face down, or the cameras are very low resolution. You're not you're not going to get. It's really just focused on delivering a package um, rather than anything else. Um, the drones we operate are, are over mining spaces. Um, you mean there we we've got permission to fly over those particular areas. So it's it's really about with anything um, that we've seen. It, it's really about communication. It's interesting when you when you think about it because historically we know there's a lot of satellite technology out there that's extremely powerful uh, can can zoom into within ten meters of, of a person and you can almost identify their face uh, and that's been going on for years uh, and nobody says anything because they don't see it now I guess the difference is that these drones are sort of within sight and now you can actually see what they're taking pictures of and maybe that's the the challenge of trying to get people to be acceptable of it. I guess you're right. I think we we probably don't know the the level of extent of of accuracies what maybe military satellites can see versus what we what we know of. But from a let's say use case point of view, where people do and militaries even do use drone technology, is because satellites are so high and flying so fast that that generally they're only over a particular position on the Earth only once a day. So sometimes you might only let's say. If, if you are worried about satellite technology, you at least know they're only going to be overhead for about 15, 20 minutes before it's, let's say, out of visual range. And, uh, and military-style drones are, are, are flying at the same height as commercial um, aircraft with very, very high-powered sensors, so at 20, 30,000 feet um, above your head. So, But what we're seeing in the commercial space is these um, the implementation of what they call um, unmanned traffic management platforms, or UTMs, um, which seeks to sort of harmonize and synchronize all these drone operations. Um, so not only, I don't know if you've kind of got that flight radar app um, on your phone when you see commercial um, aircraft, and you see where they're flying with the transponders, that's where drones are going to go. So eventually, you I mean, there's going to be platforms and apps available where you can see where drones are flying above. You'll know it. You'll you you follow procedure if you if you, you all of a sudden your house ends up being underneath what they call a drone corridor because that's, that's where it's going to be going. We're going to have drone highways um, in the sky where drones are going to be sharing the airspace with manned aircraft. And it's just about segregating that airspace safely. So. You mentioned at the start, you know, about the sort of the history of drone technology coming from, from military. You know, most people have seen the military-style drones from, from movies. How different are those military-style drones to what the commercial applications of drone programs are today? You know, minus the weapons, you know, how different are they? Yeah, I, th I think it's it's probably a, a horses for courses um, kind of approach, Alex. It's you know, I mean, you can get paramilitary drones even in commercial. You 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 probably got to get some kind of ITAR approval, depending on obviously if the the drones made in the US. 
but you're able to, and, and that's what's even happening in Australia at the moment is some very large um, drones are being flown to, to cover for security and surveillance purposes, uh, especially up in Africa where we, where we have a lot of uh, um, issues in, in sort of the, the public order sort of spacing. And uh, we need to have drones that can fly uh, 90, 90 minutes to, to four hours at, at a time. And those drones generally tend to be uh, more fuel powered so a lot more complex kind of engines, whereas the drones that we uh, operate are, are primarily electric based. So again, just from a safety point of view, um, you know, to to sort of limit um, any kind of impacts or, or dangers. So it's really about deciding: do you do you need something that you're going to be monitoring far away where you don't want to send humans, or is it about um, what are my needs? Do I need, if I only got a mine that's five, 10 kilometers long, I could probably do with something smaller and less costly and, and riskier as well. So let's drill into that in terms of specifically how drones can change the nature of work. You've given a few examples about mining and, and surveying of mines, for example. What specifically are the types of uh, jobs that you're doing, maybe on a mine site or around public safety or security? In the mine, in the mine space, you know, drones have had a really, really big impact. You know, beyond the, let's say, the the obvious um, things of, of of removing people from dangerous working areas. You know, we when we originally started this uh, way back when with with BHP on when they had coal mines in in South Africa. Um, you know, they were telling us when they were doing their monthly measurement of stockpiles, they would give each of their surveyors this high precision GPS, and they would tell them, "All right, you need to go and walk over those those stockpiles," and some of them could be. 20, 30, 60 meters high, these massive big coal stockpiles. And just if you kind of think about coal in its form, you know I mean, in a hot summer's day, as these guys were working, walking over these stockpiles to, to measure them, you know, the, the coal stock uh, would be melting their boots. You know I mean, the, 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 the coal would be sort of spontaneously combusting, right? And uh, so for, for there, it was about taking people out of these dangerous situations, out of the working areas, out of the pit where most accidents occur, and where you've just got a drone that's flying overhead, it looks like a bird. People don't even know, know that's happening. So, so safety is, the, is probably the biggest um, reason why we implement drones on mining sites. Um, the other one, uh, generally, is also to do with, with cost and speed. Um, what we found is, is again, instead of sending out five guys, you're flying, you've got one pilot now who can fly a drone and, uh, and do in, in 40 minutes what it used to take five days to do. And that also really had um, implications of its own, you know, getting this data really, really quickly. Um, and I'll tell you sort of an interesting sort of uh, story um, about what happened uh, with some of our first customers and, um, and the impact of drones and, and let's say the speed of data. Uh, when we, we, again, when we kind of started out and you again imagine these surveyors, you know, once a month going out, getting all the volumes for a mine, you know, that at the end of the month, they would get sort of their volumes and go, well, that was a horrible month. You know what I mean? Let's do better next, let, let's do better next month, right? From a management perspective. And um, so you, the mine's only getting about 12 data points, uh, you know, per year. And then what you find is by flying a drone and because it can do this really, really quickly, we were collecting and providing volumes almost on a weekly kind of basis, if not even a daily for, for some customers, which means that all of a sudden you go from only getting these 12 data points per year to, to 200. Now, people say, you know, in the beginning, they're like, why do I need 200 data points? Why do I need to know how much I'm digging out of my mind every single day? And what we found is, is that by the minds who, who really kind of took that to heart and say, well, you know, we kind of look at um, drone data 
of the same way that we look at the transition of 2G to 3G to, to 4G technology is that we're going to build these applications around that with the speed to ingest this data. And now we've got scenarios on some, some of our customers' minds whereby we are measuring the, the volume produced per day and they are even incentivizing and rewarding their shifts workers bonuses so like literally so as the guys are leaving the mind there's like a little electronic sign that says this was your production for today well done your bonus is this so all of a sudden now customers who could only get their only got their volumes end of the month are now getting it every day and it's really changed the way in which they work and, and operate so um, it, it's really been about folks of the data and, and the applications um, of that data the other thing that comes to mind when you talk about sort of the, the ability to track things is that in some cases with mining, there's some very uh, prized possessions that are coming out of those those mines, such as diamonds. Uh, you know, these are things that are always high high risk value items that could easily be stolen or, or um, ambushed. And we've seen a few unfortunate cases uh, in, in Congo uh, in, in recent times. This is maybe another application of drone technology. Yeah, I, I guess drones can be used for good or, or bad. Um, and funny enough, we've actually we actually have done work on gold mines. Uh, I mean, on diamond mines before in in Namibia. And uh, if you've ever been to a mine, especially specifically diamond mines, if you what you go in there, you can't leave with. So because they every time you leave, it's full body searches, X-ray scans. They use the same scanners that they that they use at the airport. You know when you stick up your hands and they, they sort of go around. So they they checking you haven't hidden hidden diamonds anywhere. But you're right. Now drones pose an opportunity to to obviously fly over the fences, and uh, and there is technology available to um, to detect drones um, that you know sort of these drone. Uh, shields as per se um, that you've seen around as well as for us as professional operators when we're there the drones when we fly in they obviously make a note of what drone went in they seal it they mark it they they literally almost sort of weld along it um, with these sort of uh, seals that uh, prevent you being able to open up these drones and, and send them out so they definitely got the procedures it definitely can be done um, but we um, we generally find that um, customers uh, in sort of professional settings are um, they've, they've they've got the systems in place to prevent those. If we if we stick on the public safety piece now, I guess in the Australian context, bushfires are a huge problem. Um, we've got a massive land, and, and bushfires can pop up anywhere. Drones is I guess is another uh, application as an advanced warning system. Uh, likewise, when you know, there's border patrol and customs for Australia is always looking for illegal fishing boats or illegal people transporting drugs into the country or um, illegal people uh, trying to come into the country. Here's a couple of other options that uh, can now be used with, with drone technology. That's right. So, and Australia's actually also been a really big um, user of that. Just last year, they bought over 200 um, DJI um, units to specifically for the bushfires. So they've actually been training up uh, this last year uh, emergency uh, response and, and firefighters as well to be able to to do fire spotting. So again, by attaching a, a, a thermal sensor onto onto this drone and you sending it, you know, again, 100, 100 meters um, up in up in the air, you're able to detect and understand the scale and where a bushfire may be, may be spreading and where to send where to send uh, people. 
Also, again, using thermal, you'll be able to detect people as well. So if we need to provide assistance or these people, you know, uh, you know, I mean, sort of hidden and, and struggling somewhere, and we need to go and, and go and save them. That's where thermal technology has really played a, a very, very big, big part. So you're right. It's uh, it's not only just got this commercial application, but definitely from a public uh, safety point of view, um, you know, we we're finding a, a lot of a lot of acceptance. As we look to the the future of drone technology, given that you know it's still pretty much still early days, a lot can can happen from a technological advancement point of view. We're curious to get your thoughts around what are the key areas that you're looking for in terms of development of technology, and one other area to think about. It's it's a really I guess big issue today with with sovereignty of of countries is that some of these um, drones are now being built in China, and there's concerns about the international. Uh, concerns that you have a, a another country potentially spying. So connected issues, but uh, curious to get your thoughts both on those. Drones are only going to become more autonomous, as, as we were chatting about earlier. It's the, the days of one one pilot, one drone are, are really on the way out. We're going to have these these drones who are going to be pre-programmed to um, you know to to sort of perform a specific uh, mission, right? And you're right. That brings in a whole new set of complexities and and uh, and systems and trust issues because then, depending where these drones could be made, you know, while you're sleeping, does your drone sort of um, take off at night to to go do its own little thing, right, and and go and sort of spy? So, it's really about um, how do we what what are the systems that we put in place? And definitely, the countries like the US are very. Um, very concerned about this, and they've got their own growing drone hardware markets. Exactly this to to understand that we've got our own sovereignty and security, and I think it will very much happen in in Australia as well. Where we're gonna you're gonna see sort of this resurgence of drone hardware coming up, especially for those looking to to apply for for government and military contracts as well. So it's really about finding the balance of both. Um, you know, I mean, we've we we are an open world, we are a global economy. We've got to figure out where we interact and where the rules um, and what kind of safety protocols we, we put in place to prevent it. It is going to be a concern. You I mean drones are going to be hackable, um, and that's why it just brings this whole new market of industry um, that we're going to 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 see in developing. So it's a it's a really a fledging um, industry. It's it's it seems simple already on the surface, but like you write, so much more complexity and things to think about below the surface. But we it only it only just really adds and uh, and builds to like we say that that eventual public trust, because the same way we all trust um, internet shopping now, but 20 years ago no one wanted to put their credit card online. We we are we're going to see that same acceptance slowly over time with the necessary security protocols in place uh, happening with drones. All right. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for your time today, Chris. Thank you, Alex. It's been been great. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.